Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit! We are now addressed by the living Lord through his living word. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Friends, this is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your holy scriptures. Would we be molded by this word here this morning? Give us your Holy Spirit to understand the very things of God And bring us into your presence, O Lord. Jesus, thank you that the one that gave this great commission is the one that died on that terrible, wonderful cross about which we have been singing. Would we know the welcome of your grace and mercy and be molded by the same. Do a good work now, we pray. In this ancient practice of the reading and preaching of your scriptures, Jesus, for our good and for your glory, we pray in your name. Amen. You can be seated. If you hear the word evangelism, what comes to your mind? What sorts of connotations or conjurings does such a word bring up for you? Evangelism, aka, at least in Christian contexts, followers of Jesus telling their friends, loved ones, and neighbors about the good news of Jesus to invite them that they also can begin to follow the living Lord. I think for many of us, The connotation of evangelism, however, can be negative, not so good. For my own money, there's so much baggage attached to that term that I prefer a phrase or a word like Christian witness instead. But either way, the thinking goes that for religious people, including Christianity here in the West, you're welcome, more or less, to have your own set of religious beliefs, but those religious beliefs are not for the public sphere. Please, Keep, them to, keep those beliefs to yourself, and for the public sphere, we're not going to talk about things like religious beliefs. And if you do actually try, as a follower of Jesus, to talk to those beliefs about somebody else, you run the risk of that bugaboo, culturally speaking, of proselytizing. And we don't want to do that, the thinking goes. When you think about proselytizing, that sounds really pushy, that sounds hurtful, That sounds hateful, and the thinking goes that proselytism and pluralism don't mix. They're oil and water. If we live in a pluralistic culture, then by that same measure, 
Keep your beliefs to yourself. Don't witness. Don't evangelize. Please don't proselytize. And if you yourself are uncomfortable with the concept or the practice of evangelism, I get it. And before I became a follower of Jesus, I used to think the same thing. It's really weird, I thought to myself. And if you're in that same boat here this morning, whether here in the room or online, thank you for joining us in these moments of worship. But I would ask you at the same time to consider an alternative perspective that came to me as I, as I was exploring different religious traditions as a college student. I cast my net wide thinking about a lot of different faith and worldview type of stuff. And I had a conversation partner to debrief when I would go here and there. It was my friend Emily later my wife, and one of our conversations in debrief happened like this. I went to this meeting that was kind of new agey spiritualism. I enjoyed it, came back, and was talking about it with Emily. And she asked me, okay, tell me a little bit about it. And Emily at the time, still is a committed Christian, said, okay, tell me about it. And I did, and she said, okay, that's interesting. What are you supposed to do? What does this worldview, this religious system, ask you to do? What's the mission? How does it challenge you? How does it grow you? What are you supposed to do? And I said, nothing. That's not the point. The point is that this worldview religiously that I was exploring, it's supposed to bring me comfort. And Things for me to do, to stretch, to grow, to engage in mission, those sorts of things make me uncomfortable, and I don't want to do any of that. But in dialogue with Emily and a few other people, I came to realize that I actually may have had it exactly backwards. And I came to appreciate instead that if something is real, if something matters, if something's true, it makes demands. It pushes you in certain directions. It gives you a mission. You should tell other people about it. And if your ultimate allegiance is to something that doesn't have that action, that mission piece baked into it, those are the systems, those are the worldviews, those are the beliefs that maybe at the end of the day, you shouldn't take that seriously at all. And so I came to appreciate that within the Christian story, there is the Christian call to mission. That means service. That means obedience. That means various activities, including that there is a call upon me to tell my loved ones, my friends, my neighbors, my colleagues, my coworkers, my fellow students, about the good news of Jesus Christ verbally, explicitly. But here's one of the things about Christian witness, about evangelism. If we're honest, it's not just the non-believers or the non-Christians that are skeptical about such a practice. How many of us in the room right now might think, hey, wait a second, do I have to do that? I don't know what to say. I'm not sure what it's going to cost me. I'm afraid. And if you're in that type of situation, I get it too. 
And I think the church needs to do a better job of equipping. So if you can remember back to March of 2020, there were a couple of things going on in March of 2020, if I recall. In the middle of March 2020, we were going to do a conference called Evangelism for Non-Evangelists, where it was going to be a Friday evening and a Saturday morning until lunch, where and we're going to have Steve Huber, the director of the Liberty Community of Churches, coming, and we're going to talk about how can we be equipped better as followers of Jesus to actually engage in evangelism. And so the conversations between me and Steve Huber that particular week went from, okay, are we set on the context for this mini-conference? Yeah, we think we are. And then the question became, hey, do you think as part of this mini-conference we should talk about something like a global pandemic that seems to be bearing down on us? very quickly. And then by the end of the week is, yeah, we're not going to do that conference. It's canceled. And so is church, maybe forever. We just don't know what's going on right, right now at all. We're bringing that conference back online. So in the middle of May, and be on the lookout for announcements as it gets a little bit closer, Friday evening, Saturday morning, we are going to talk about being missionally engaged in the contexts that God has given to us. And there's more to being missionally engaged than just verbal evangelism and witness, although that's going to be the focus of this sermon here. We want to give you more equipping, and that's also why this is a sermon and a sermon series of slant regarding our practices of presence, part of our represence initiative, as we try to grow in specific practices that God has called us to. That includes evangelism. That includes being missionally engaged. It's going to be great. And yet, we can still wonder and think to ourselves, is this something that we should be doing? Is it actually good? And so to consider evangelism and Christian witness here this morning, the sermon text that I chose is the famous, what's been called, Great Commission of Jesus at the end of Matthew's Gospel. The last verses of the entire Gospel of Matthew, one of the four narrative accounts of Jesus' life, the Great Commission, where Jesus famously says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And if you've been in the church for a little while, maybe you've heard at least a little bit about that. But here's something that struck me only recently when I went back to study this passage. Before Jesus gives the Great Commission and the command, you see in verse 17, And when they saw him, they worshipped him. And this is the part that got me. But some doubted. Either this has been a late addition to the Bible within the past couple of years, or I missed this for a really, really long time. When Jesus climactically is saying, okay, let's bring our hands together, let's stack those hands, one, two, three, team Jesus, go! Some were doubting. Jesus is just resurrected. Kind of a big deal. And some of those 11 weren't quite sure. Upshot? Doubts, if you're a follower of Jesus, don't disqualify you from Christian witness. You see, Jesus is not only calling the super-Christians, the robust, deep, broad-shouldered followers that never have any doubts in the world, although the Holy Spirit over time, we pray, brings us into places of deeper certainty and conviction regarding the Christian story. It's not just the super-Christians, but including the doubters, those of flickering faith 
you to go and make disciples of all nations. That's where we're going to be here this morning. Jesus tells us, go. That's what we're going to weigh. And in fact, there's no other way to walk with Jesus besides witnessing for him. So missional engagement, Christian witness, evangelism, in two parts for the rest of the sermon from here, we're going to talk first about what Jesus gives and then also what Jesus commands. So here we are at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, and we find another mountain. Verse 16, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. If you know a little bit about Matthew, mountains are a thing specifically in this Gospel. You may have heard of the Sermon on the Mountain. That's in, only in Matthew's Gospel, towards the beginning. And then also when Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done, right before he's arrested and then tried and then crucified, the, that's on the Mount of Olives. The Garden of Gethsemane is on the Mount of Olives. And here we have a mountain again. There's even deeper biblical echoes where mountains are places of the revelation and the power and presence of God. Moses, Mount Sinai, met with God, received the Ten Commandments. Elijah, on Mount Carmel, against the prophets of Baal. King David, occupying the throne on Mount Zion. Jerusalem itself is founded upon the mountain of Zion. And here we go again. Jesus has some big things to say, and as we listen to and hear the Great Commission, what Jesus commands, there's a whole big context around it too. Let's not skip straight to the command without first considering what Jesus gives. A couple of different things. Jesus gives his authority. Also before Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, the verse right before that, verse 18, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So one way of thinking about Christian witness, it's pretty simple. We're just being transparent as we communicate and proclaim the rule of Jesus Christ over all things. That's what it is. If you follow Jesus, truly who is your king? And will you be honest about that to other people? Will you live under that authority? Leslie Newbegin is somebody here at Liberty Collingswood that I quote every once in a while. He was an Episcopal English missionary to India in the mid-20th century, and then that was sort of the phase one of his career, and then phase two, he came back to England and engaged in a lot of writing. And so he's one of my favorite missiologists considering the mission of the church around the world. And this is what he said about evangelism having understood many different cross-cultural contexts. Whatever may or may not have been the sins of our missionary predecessors, the commission to disciple all the nations stands at the center of the church's mandate. And a church that forgets this or marginalizes it forfeits the right to the titles Catholic and Apostolic. This is a quote at the beginning of our worship folder for a, ref for a reflection. The contemporary embarrassment about previous missionary movements is not, as we like to think, evidence that we have become more humble. You see, starting in the 20th century, there is this movement, even within the church, saying, are we still on board 
as we see that the world is becoming truly more global and pluralistic, are we still committed to talking to people about Jesus in hopes that they will move over time from their worldview to a Christian one? Is that good? Jesus says it's not that we're becoming more humble when we, or Newbegin says it's not that we're becoming more humble when we ask those questions. It is, I fear, much more clearly evidence of a shift in belief. It is evidence that we are less ready to affirm the uniqueness, the centrality, the decisiveness of Jesus Christ as universal Lord and Savior, the way by following whom the world is to find its true goal, the truth by which every other claim to truth is to be tested, and the life in whom alone life in its fullness is to be found. So behind the evangelism question, for those of you that are followers of Jesus, there's an authority question. Who truly is your king? And I get it. Whether it's witnessing or evangelism specifically or more broadly Christianity, it's out of step. It's out of step. I get it. Speaking of Tim Keller, one of our favorite pastors here, I think the latest thing that he wrote was a small book called How to Reach the West Again. And he talks about how the church needs to be a contrast culture as the world becomes more secular. And it's dizzying to read because he says the church has to be all of these different things if we're biblically faithful across lots of ideological lines. And so it is for the church in this moment to be for all of life, to have deep regard for all of life. And that means that we hold suspect at best wars of aggression. That means that we oppose violence against women. That means that we care for the unborn. That means that we'll practice a nonconformist sexual ethic, but not in the context of shame and judgment and scorn and derision, but peacefulness and love and compassion. That means that we will be against racism in all of its forms and that we will empty our lives to serve the poor. And if you're here in this room or listening online, you're probably more comfortable with some of those things than others. That's okay. But this is what God has called us to in this moment. And then we live in a moment right now where all authority is questioned, and there is deep skepticism towards any and all institutional authorities, and let's face it, for a lot of good reasons. And that's why it's just in the cultural drinking water. Keep it to yourself. Don't proselytize. But to me, that's not the full story. And we can think about and define proselytizing, or better, witnessing, this way. All that is, is you're being honest and transparent and trying to persuade other people of what you perceive to be ultimately true. I'm just talking about what we believe to be true to other people. And with that understanding, we proselytize all the time. Everybody does. Social media can be considered a proselytizing machine all the time. And it's not that, okay, some of us have authorities and others of us don't. We all have authorities. And really the question is, which one? What authority? And can we have conversations? So it's okay to name blind, blind spots with folks and friends and say, hey, can we just have an honest back and forth conversation about various things that we hold to be true and are really important to us? And here's another distinctive of Christianity against a lot of streams in our culture, we disagree but don't disengage. That's the mark of a Christian. 
hey, can we stay in loving relationship and community even when we're not on the same page about all things? And there are such great currents and tensions right now where disagreement means disengagement. Unfriend. Unfollow. Tribalize, 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 tribalize. But instead, the call of somebody that follows Jesus is, yeah, I know this is crazy. We have a lot of ideas about a lot of things, but I love you, and I want to care for you, and I want to listen to you, and I want to be with you. And it's okay to be out of step. That's why Jesus is radical in the first place. You see, it's not, hey, why don't you believe in Jesus so that you can get your cherry on top of an already well-adjusted walk and worldview, no course corrections at all. It's just going to be this little extra thing to top you off. No, this is a third-way walk and worldview where Jesus is radical and it changes everything as it should. Let Jesus turn over the tables of your own hearts. It's actually pretty scary, but it's really good. And we need such reorientation. And understand, too, one more thing about authority. If, if you balk at thinking of Jesus as authority, at, I get it because authority is scary and we, we, we hold it suspect now. But if you balk at the authority of Jesus, it's possible that you're already a person of some privilege or some power or some resources already. You see, if you don't have a lot of power and a lot of resources, and you're a person with little and at risk, let me tell you, the authority of Jesus Christ is really good news for you because you're vulnerable. And the authority of Jesus is an authority that serves, that gives grace talking with a couple of our deacons this morning in deacon training, ongoing officer training. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That is a radically different view of authority altogether, and it's designed not to be disempowering, but empowering to us. Because whatever ideologies we hold, we need a better king. Jesus grants us his authority. But not only that, he gives us his presence. The very end of the passage, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And if you struggle with the authority piece, keep in mind that Jesus' authority, again, it's not a distant, overburdening, detached authority, but instead Jesus matches in his lordship his authority with his presence. God is near to the brokenhearted. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And as you cry out for Jesus' presence in your life, he is pleased to give it. Nearer to you than any other friend or loved one, than to yourself. Jesus, be present, be near. Are you lonely? We are living in an age of an epidemic of loneliness. Do you know the presence of Jesus? And then also grace. Going back to the fact in verse 17 that some doubted. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Think about this. Jesus doesn't whack them. Right? He doesn't break their legs. He doesn't say you're going to sleep with the fishes now. He knows that they were doubting. He's omniscient. He knows all things. 
wouldn't Jesus have been within his rights to say, here I am with my 11 best friends that have not deserted me, kind of. You 11 go. Oh, some of you are doubting? Here's some lightning bolts. Take care of a few of you doubters. Here I am with my seven best friends telling you now it's time to go. Jesus, even at this stage, is embodying the dynamic of the cross, where he died for our sins and the sins of the world, and there's forgiveness and grace and mercy all the way down. You know what? You're not all that. You're even in this big moment for me, kind of a climax. You're doubting? More than that, you're sinful, and we all are. But this is why I died for you. And we need that grace, and we need that mercy every day. Jesus is pleased to give it, like Joanna was saying earlier, by what he did and not by what we need to bring to the table. And everybody is welcome. And I love how they doubted here. St. Jerome, kind of like the Tim Keller of the ancient church. A lot of people read this guy. He actually translated the Bible from the original languages of Greek and Hebrew into Latin, the Vulgate, which is used today up to the present day in the Catholic Church, that was St. Jerome. And he made the comment about this passage specifically about the doubters. He said, their doubt should strengthen our faith. Take comfort. Be encouraged that even at this climactic moment, they're doubting, just like we do. And yet, as we worship, we're called to go. Now, what does Jesus command? So if that's what Jesus gives— what Jesus commands. Next verse, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And that's why our mission statement here, Liberty Collingswood, we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus. Collingswood, surrounding boroughs, wherever God has placed us, that means living, that means speaking, that means serving. Verbally, we speak to others about Jesus, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Baptism. We're going to do one today. That's the initiation into a lifelong walk with Jesus. And then the teaching them to observe. That's the ongoing maintenance of following this Lord. That's what we're called to robustly. And I celebrate here at Liberty Collingswood, there are exactly such stories in our midst. And so if you're a follower of Jesus here and you hear the command, go therefore, that should have names on it for you. One of the things that we're going to do in mid-May at this missional engagement conference, we're going to give you a worksheet, I think, and say, how would you fill out and fill in the go therefore? To whom? And yes, that requires thick relationships. Be relationally engaged with people all around you, both within the church and both outside of the church. It's a both and. We need to have thick relationships with so many people, which stretches me as an introvert. Because for so many of us, belonging precedes believing. If you're somebody, whether as a younger adult or as an adult adult, Probably for you in your journey towards Christian faith, it wasn't just a bunch of ideas. It wasn't just a bunch of Bible verses, although I hope it was ideas, it was Bible verses. But it was friends. It was loved ones. They're living this out. And the flip side is true as well. For people that are deconstructing and deconverting from the faith, 
the belonging shifts away from, and we need at least a few deep and rich Christian friendships to our friend group is entirely outside of the church. And what do you know? Belonging precedes believing in those cases too. As we go, don't be arrogant and don't be intimidated. Don't be arrogant. There is nothing uglier than arrogant, angry Christian witness, right? And in fact, that is antithetical to the message of Jesus Christ through and through. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, not you, Jesus says. Jesus is the authority you are not. I am not. But then also, don't be intimidated because Jesus is the authority. And I can sometimes think to myself, Life is really crazy right now. Christian witness used to be easier. It was easier then, whenever I fill in when that then was. And I think in terms of recent U.S. history, there's a sense in which that's true, where, say, late 20th century, there was a lot of commonality in worldview among people that were in the church and outside of the church, and there was social capital to be gained by being a member of a church and to be lost by not being a member of the church. That actually did make Christian witness easier but then I need to remind myself, a period like that is the exception in the history of the world. In the vast majority of times and places, the contexts are very, very much not aligned with Christianity. And I can even tell myself, and I need corrected in this, you know, it would have been easier to be one of the first disciples. Then I think to myself, that was actually pretty hard. And you can understand the doubting in those moments, therefore go. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, just me and these 10 other bozos? <laughs> these losers, including me? We're going to go and make disciples of all nations. Yeah. And the Sixers are going to win a championship, right? <laughs> like, there's, we all know that's never going to happen. But St. Augustine, another early leader in the church, said this about this passage. He said, hey, we actually have some advantages now, however later, from this period originally, than what the original disciples have. What do we see which the disciples saw not? The church throughout all nations. What do we not see which these saw? Christ present in the flesh. Let what we have respectively seen help us. The sight of Christ helped the first disciples to believe the future church. The sight of the church helps us to believe that Christ has risen. What comfort can we have? I forget the exact number, but do you remember that old Elvis album? Was it 200,000 Elvis fans can't be wrong? Something like that? Currently, there are over 2 billion people around the world and growing that say, yeah, this is true. This Jesus who rose long ago, is my Lord. And the church on mission truly is true, good, and beautiful. It's true. What's real is best. And we do live in this culturally curious moment where, not all the time, but in a lot of ways, there's this idea, especially in face-to-face -face communication, you, you can get raw and rowdy online and social media. But the deeper something is of importance to you, the less you should actually talk about it with other people. The more centrally you believe something to be true 
and ultimately true and even objectively true, that's what you shouldn't talk about. That's really unique in the history of the world as well. And it's also anti-human. What are we supposed to do? Just talk about fantasy football and essential oils forever? Like, let's talk about more deep, real stuff. And if we have loving conversations with other people, it'll go just fine. It's true. And it's also beautiful. Consider this. The church, for 2,000 years and counting, is the most multi-ethnic, multicultural organization or institution in the world. And it's not even close. And here at Liberty Collingswood, we continually need to push and press to become more diverse within our church body ourselves. But it's already happening. And one of the things that I love about the church in general, and including our church, Liberty Collingswood, is that you know some people and you have some friends that you would never be friends with in a million years apart from Jesus. Where you might think to yourself, I have to be brother or sister to the other person that posted that on their feed? The answer is yes, because Jesus transcends all of their bonds. And the ragtag, ragamuffin nature of the church where forever we're only going to be a motley crew or bad news bears. But that's precisely the beauty of the church. So it's true and it's beautiful and it's good. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We need grace and mercy. If we don't have that, we're cooked forgiveness and real change and union with Christ and eternal life, the only way to escape the wrath of God at the end of time on that last day. We need this forgiveness and grace in God's presence. And this is where we'll wrap up. It gives us hope. In my opinion, as I look to secularities of the extreme right and the extreme left, it's increasingly cashing checks that are bouncing. The receipts are piling up. As I look to one side or the other, it's just turning the keys to these elites. We'll keep educating you. And if you keep getting on board, we're going to give you the utopian life that everybody's going to love. That's just not happening. And then on the right, there's a doubling down of aggrievement after aggrievement after aggrievement when we just get angrier. I think on either side, I'm seeing more and more that there's this metastatic impulse from, and some of us are conservatives and some of us are progressives. It's good and healthy for a church to have both. But understand the metastatic impulse towards radicalizing on either side. And the deeper you go towards either of those poles, it doesn't give you more wellness, more peace, more wholeness. It just makes you angrier and more agitated, and more paranoid, and less peaceful. But in Jesus Christ, through his crucifixion and resurrection and ministry of the Holy Spirit across the world, Jesus is bringing our world and the very cosmos from messed up to made whole. Jesus is good. And he says, 
go. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after-party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later. Thank you.